Hello and welcome back to the pretty serious, but wait, hold on. This, this says we have a new name. Uh, do. Do. All right, let me try that again. Um, welcome back to, or, or welcome, I guess I'm not welcoming them back if it's a brand new show. Anyway, welcome to the How the Race Was Won podcast. I think you have to say, I'm Dan Cash. I'm Dan and this Cash. is the How the Race Was Won podcast. And this is the How the Race Was Won podcast. <laughs> I'm going to need practice with yes, that. You, yeah, it's, it's a mouthful. Cosmo Catalano, whose voice the listeners just heard, have a little bit more practice with saying that. This is my and, first time, so I'm just going. It's going to take a little while. I, I usually say it at the end. I'm just assuming it would work as well in the beginning, and I guess I don't know. I've never, I've never tried to do it. In the this is the first. So yeah, well, it's a new spin on the How the Race Was Won model. Um, yeah, so we, we have a, we've got a new name. The logo, I mean, if you've clicked on this podcast, you, you already know that. Um, this is it's not a surprise to people who've actually clicked, but we got a new name. And I, I, I guess we should just tell people that, you know, I kind of, we were already telling people last year when we were being pretty serious, which we intend to still do, by the way, um, about uh, how bike races were won. And But I would always just, you know, kind of find a little bit of a different way to say that. And, yeah, I just got tired of that. So yeah, just, I... I you know, I I think someone may have registered intellectual property around using that phrase in regards to cycling podcasts. Yeah, and uh, I wanted to be very respectful of that. I I, I think the the rights holder appreciates that. That's good. Uh, we'll have to, you know, we can check <laughs> with him later. Uh, so yeah, we are now officially just we're just how the race was won. That that's what we're calling this thing now. Uh, it's the we've got art. It's it's the logo is is there. Um, but for anybody who is concerned, lest you be worried. We're not going to be any less serious about the bike racing. And in fact, I have, we have like four months of pent up seriousness, actually, that I would like to, you know, take out on the racing here. Yeah, I would, I would say we're actually, uh, we are increasing our serious factor here uh, in, in terms of maybe not trying to cover every race and talk about every single race, but really pick apart the big races um, in a super detailed way. Um, yeah, we got stern talking to uh, from um, from management that uh, we needed to be as serious as possible, and otherwise, you know, it's just there's there's really no space for us to do anything else. Uh, just <laughs> so kidding. We say after five minutes of uh, circular banter, we do. We are going to try to to really bring you the the in depth analysis to to go as deep as possible to be very serious mostly. Uh, and and also you know leave stuff for the placeholders to talk about in a few days and and hopefully therefore we'll be able to kind of have our own things and they'll have their own things and and if you listen to both shows like you should you should listen to every show on this podcast network Escape Collective you'll have new and fresh and interesting things every day rather than hearing us rehashing the same things over and over again so that's the goal we're going to be very 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 extremely serious most of the time and then you know you tune in the next day you get. Abby, Mickey, and we'll talk breaking down the women's racing. The placeholders will do their thing and talk about bike racing news. I, I say they, but like I'm on that show. You've been on that show. So we, we. <laughs> I have been on that show. Uh, I haven't been on Wheel Talk yeah. yet. I, how do I get on Wheel Talk? I should ask Abby. Yeah, I, I think that's what you got to do. You got to ask her. You got to, you know, you got to be nice. You got to not make fun of her draft picks in the Escape mm. Collective, you know, NFL draft style thing that we did. I'm, so. I'm, I'm pretty good at not getting in trouble like that um yeah it's, it's taken it's taken some practice i i, I feel like i was on the nicer end though after that if, if you're <laughs> listening to this us you know rambling on right now you should check this out we, we did a pod last week with the larger escape crew we we drafted some riders uh a la the nfl you know american sports and uh, abby picked mess peterson first and some folks were giving her a pretty hard time i feel like i was actually on the nicer end uh but anyway we're here to talk about bike racing. We're here to be pretty serious about it, even if we've got a brand new name. And we are here on February 26th when you're listening to this for a very specific reason. I mean, technically, the World Tour season started weeks ago. In and Australia. some might say the bike racing season started weeks ago. And I really don't want to get into that debate today. That's something that <laughs> has been that's a, really... That's a placeholder's topic. Yeah, it is. It's And it's been, you know, it's been hashed, rehashed and hashed. And yeah, it, people have talked about it a little bit and a lot, actually, in the past. So either way, it was opening weekend. It was the Envelope Pet News Blood and Kerner Brussels Kerner. So we are here to tell you, listeners, um, 
how how someone achieved victory in that how event. The race, and how actually, the race was won at Omlupet Nisblat. Wow. 2024. 20, that's what we're doing. It's I mean, the hey, men's if the race. rights holder is going to say it, the rights I feel holder like we can is say it. saying it. We're putting it out there. This is, yeah. I mean, it's not like, it's not like I haven't, I, I was able to, to play around with a tiny, tiny bit of footage. Um, thanks to a, a different friendly rights holder. Um, and I would love to, you know, to, to talk about the stuff I saw in the women's race. Um, and the men's race, I think both were really good. And I think we saw, we saw a racing that we really haven't seen quite yet in the spring. I think the the way people are describing it is the raced raced like juniors. That's the, that's the catchphrase people are using. You know, this was there's always opening weekend. One of the exciting things is you never know how the broadcast is going to go. You never know how things are going to set up, and so you end up. You know, you turn on the the whatever you're watching. You log into your website. You open your app, and you're. You know, you're there at the scheduled time. The scheduled time moves a little bit. And then finally pictures start showing up. But it's it's all pre-recorded stuff or features that are prepared ahead of time. And finally, the race starts. And you you finally start getting live coverage trickling in. And you finally start getting com- uh, the commentators talking. And they're saying things like, 30K into the race, it was completely blown apart with crosswinds. And then it came back to then 50K is completely blown apart with crosswinds. So even before the cameras start, you have this race that's just accordion all over the place. And, and Dan, correct me if I'm wrong, but that is not the sort of thing we tend to see at these at these big classics. Uh, no, certainly not. not early in the season. I would I would say really at any elite level race, you really don't often see that, particularly on the men's side, like that much, yeah, blown upness that early in the race. And I feel like it could maybe it is the the early seasonness of it all. Maybe it's the anticipation of all the other teams in the peloton worrying about trying to make something happen to avoid the inevitability of Visma Lisa bike. Yeah, I, I don't know what it was, but it was certainly accordioning very early, and and I, I loved the the juniors comparison because it, it kind of felt like that in a good way. I mean, when you're watching, that's really fun. I I, I really I I wish we'd gotten coverage like five minutes sooner because the first thing I saw that made any like we saw some people getting thrown off the back and then finally got a shot of like of the break with the peloton in the background. I say the break in quotes because apparently it just formed and it had been formed by Luke Rowe in part. And Luke Rowe is a really well-respected guy in the peloton, like kind of a road captain. He's also known to be to to not suffer fools gladly, so he can be a little cranky. And I just imagine him getting completely worked up and just being like, "F this, we're going off the front, we're making a break happen." Uh, and they got you know like thirty seconds, but finally established a break like with eighty k to go in the race. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to describe Luke Rowe. First of all, and, and second of all. <laughs> I mean, I, I the, the the kind of crazy thing is that was just like one of so many moves that were off the front in this race. Like by by like an, within an hour and a half, you're like, how many? Wait, who who's been off the front in this race? Because you already kind of lost track, and there were so many people, and and so many of them seemed dangerous at at times. There were there were moves that really did seem like they were going to go. There were people attacking in this race. Basically, there was there was off yes. the frontness. Yeah, <laughs> it was off the frontness, and it's and it's like that's actually a really good point because this seems like it was a race. This race could have been won at any number of moments throughout the course of the day. Right, like there were times when I was like, "That's it, that's the move." This race, yes, is exa- over. that's exactly. Yeah, and I, and that, again, that's not generally what you see. Like we had Dylan last year. Dylan Van Barla crept away, and it was a group sprint behind him, and that was the race. And this was like. What do you, I, I think the first major tactical move of the day was was uh, Matteo Jorgensen, noted American classic specialist, Matteo Jorgensen, uh, who we should probably talk about later in the show. But he split the group over the Wolfenberg and we got, what was it, eight riders, seven riders clear? Van Art, Laporte, Tom Scoinch, uh, Arno DeLee, Tom Pidcock, uh, Jorgensen. I feel like I'm missing somebody. That's only six riders. But... A move that looked like a winning move in the classics, if you've ever seen one. A lot of, you know, the good teams represented multiple Visma riders because obviously Wild Van Art was in there. Um, and, you know, this was a group that, as we saw the next day at KBK, could have very easily just worked together all the way to the finish. And, you know, it didn't. We saw a bunch of people surge, try to get clear. No one really got clear. A lot of guys kind of beat each other up. They came back together. And then Jorgensen pulls off another beautiful move, I think. This little, like, looks like he's dropping back, gives himself some space, makes an attack. And as the least potent, on paper anyway, uh, Visma Lisa bike rider in the group, 
everybody is not going to chase him because they're like, hold on. No, that's not the real move. You know, a counterattack is coming. No one chases him. He goes up the road. And there's 20K to go. He's got 30 seconds, maybe. And that looks like the race is over, right? Because it really there did, are, yeah. Yeah, there are two Vismal, like Laporte, Christophe Laporte and Wout van Aert, who have finished classics hand-in-hand hand alone at the front of the race before. Uh, you know, who is going to, who's, who's, they're not going to let anybody bring him back. But I guess he kind of overestimated his own strength, uh, kind of underestimated the headwind coming back. After the Merv on Garrett's bargain, uh, like, you know, that gap is pretty much gone and the group is back together and no one really wants to pull. And then suddenly half the peloton is there again. And Jan Tratnik sort of emerges and is like, okay, I'll take I'll take the attack now. You know, I've been in this larger group catching back up. He goes solo. Niels Pollitt, who is like, if you want to be in a break with somebody, probably a really good choice. Super strong, big draft. Yeah, goes huge with draft. Yeah, like, uh, yeah. We, sh- we should... He is not a small man. What is he, 6'3"? But he's, he's, he's not yeah, two let's meters. Let's get some actual... Yeah, get, yeah. Get, the, get some... Get some very uh, the internet. The numbers. internet says he's six four. So six uh, four. in, in centimeters, what is that? Uh, that would be in um, in in non freedom units. One hundred and ninety three <laughs> centimeters. So one point nine three meters. He's a he's a tall man. Yep. And you you'd think like, you know, I he's not known for his sprinting, but he's a big guy, right? And the end of a sprint in the classics is very much. It's less about snap and turnover and more about just power, what you've got on the legs. And Tratnik's a great rider. He's super multifaceted. He's one of my favorites in the peloton in terms of just kind of does everything. But he's also not like super known as a guy who wins races. Yeah. So you know, I I could see him just maybe sitting on and he definitely. I, I think I think particularly in this situation, you think, I mean, with Pollitt and the size differential. I was a little bit surprised to see what we ended up seeing in, in, in this situation. I mean, because you're talking about tall Pollitt. Is well, I mean, mm-hmm. Tratnik is five eight. He, he's yep. yeah, you know, no, and he's... watching them ride together, it was like, <laughs> what? This guy is so much smaller. Is he? <laughs> is he a junior? When you talk about juniors, race, like he looked like a junior compared to Paulette. He was. You know, I think there were times that he was visibly like doing a pull and looking like over his shoulder to Paulette, like I'm sorry, I can't pull as hard as you. Yeah, and you know, and some also of that, I'm not I'm, providing much draft. Yeah, exactly. And I, some of that was probably gamesmanship, but I think some of it was probably real too. Like, you know, he. He obviously wants to save something for a sprint, but he also wants to get to the point where he's sprinting. And I was, I it was cool to see uh, Visma have this much faith in a guy who was, you know, not again. He's a great rider, but he's not like a race winner for them. And so, you know, I half expected him to just sit on Paulet and, you know, Paulet to get frustrated, them to kind of break things up and get caught again, and then Laporte or Van Art takes the sprint. And instead, you know, they kept working. Visma's like, go for it, make it happen. Uh, coming to the finish, it looks like there's going to be a big sprint. Pollitt's on the front, and in a two-up sprint, in a classic, not unheard of for being on the front to be the the spot to be, especially if you can kind of leave that sprint late so the person coming around you doesn't have a ton of time to make up that distance. But Tratta came around, and Pollitt was like, yep, okay, see ya, my legs are gone, and and, uh, and took the sprint win here. And actually, we see that a fair amount at, at Hetney's Blood. We saw it with uh, Greg Van Avermet and... Ian Stannard uh, uh, back in the day. Stannard, definitely not a sprinter. Um, and Van Everett, pretty quick. He's won some good sprints, some bigger groups. But, you know, the cold weather, the distance, riding alone together for a long time changes your legs. And yeah, Tratnik, I mean, Tratnik took it. And- we've seen Casper Asgreen beat Machi Vanderpool. You know, like it's, yes. it's in, in, in a long classic on cobbles. Like it, anything can happen in a sprint. It, it really changes the game. Not that Tratnik is a bad sprinter or that Paulet is a great one. Honestly, I would I would just have to say we we really haven't seen them sprinting at a high level that often because they're not riders that are involved in these scenarios that often. I mean, we Tratnik this is this this is on me. I mean, I did not even mention his name when I did a sort of like <laughs> primer for the upcoming classics and he has been on fire. Like he has been in great yeah. form. And even so, when I wrote my primer for the Escape Collective, you know, classic season look ahead situation, I'm I'm thinking, all right. Well, I got all these Visma guys to mention. I can't mention all of them. I gotta I gotta I gotta be judicious. I can only mention like you know four or five of them. I didn't even mention Tratnik's name. And then you know, 48 hours later, he goes on to win this race. And it was sort of like, oh, duh, of course, because he's he's in great shape and he rides for this team. But at the same time, it was kind of like you said. It you kind of got to tip your cap to Visma for having faith in him to do this. Yes, he was in great form coming off of 
I mean, he podiumed in all three of the other races he's started so far this year, the uh, the Vuelta Murcia, the Clásica Jaén, and the Volta Algarve. But even so, I mean, he's not. When you look at this team, which has Christophe Laporte and Wout van Aert and Dylan van Barlow, like this is a team that has other riders that you would expect to get the the nod. Yeah, and I mean, I think I think it was exactly the same as with Jorgensen, where they put him up the road, and they're like, you know, if somebody wants to bring this back, that's that's matches they're going to burn that we're gonna, we're not going to have to burn. I don't think they were like that's the winning move, you know. And uh, right. they, we we saw with the women's race, like that can come back to bite you, like they could. Estee Works thought they had the rider they wanted in the move they wanted, and it turns out that that wasn't the move they wanted. And there were some other great riders in the second group that could have helped out. Could have, could have. I mean, Lorena Bevis could have beaten Voss in a sprint, uh, but they they stuck with the plan and ended up getting getting burned by it. And and Vismo was just like, "No, nah, we're we're good with this. We like it. Go Tratnik, take the win." Yeah, and I think that's this just shows you. We've talked about this a little bit. We talked about it last year with with the well, you know, on a different show, on the pretty serious bike racing podcast. But you know, on this new show, I'll say it again. I think this is why you join a super team when when people sign when when good riders, when talented riders sign with a squad like Visma, knowing that with other squads they might be the featured guy more often. We often say, well, oh man, he, this guy's not going to get the opportunities at this new team, and yet. We see it time and again at, at Visma in particular that they're so good at juggling all of their talents. They're so good at keeping their vassals happy, as I like to say. <laughs> and this is just another example. When when you are Nan Tratnik at the Amblepet News Squad, you can try to fire off the front and you might just win a race here and there because other teams are so worried about Watt Van Aert and Christoph Laporte in the back. You might not get your chance at Flanders that often because you have Van Aert and Laporte on the team. But are you going to win Flanders anyway? Probably not. So it's a great idea to go to a Visma <laughs> and maybe get your chance at an Omloop or an E3 or a Welcome like that that sort of race because you might really benefit from being on that super team. Yeah, you're a domestique quite often, most of the time, but you're also going to win some. And I think Tratnik, we saw that this weekend. And I think there's a lot to that is also structure in management and execution. Plenty of strong riders on, let's say, Movistar last year, but they never seem to put anything together quite like this. Like, again, maybe because Jorgensen is such an obvious comparison, but he's always been strong. He's always been good. He's got good results, but it didn't... He really just seemed to try and find cracks in what was going on elsewhere. And this, he was very much a part of the machinery with a very specific purpose the entire day through. And so was Tratnik. And it just so happened that the piece of machinery he was in ended up winning the race. Right. And, and if you're Jorgensen, you say, well, I, I saw today, well, Saturday, that if my piece of machinery happens to be the one, then I might get a win. And it shows you even if, yeah, as you said, his piece of machinery wasn't the one that, that, got, that got the win, but it could be. It very well could be the next time they go out there and he's the one off the front. Uh, speaking of you know specific Visma riders off the front, this seems like as good a time as any to to hand out this week's called it award uh, for from our Discord comments. So yeah, this we first should explain the feature. I first think. and foremost, let's let's tell people that <laughs> if you join Escape Collective, you can you can chat with our very awesome community over in the Discord channel channels. There's many channels. And while the races are happening, you can be talking with your friends about what is happening in the race. You could be saying things like, I think this guy's going to win. I think that guy's going to win. And if you are Klaus, particularly <laughs> this week, you might on February 21st, which is not, you know, not the day before this race. It's we actually on Wednesday. Klaus the, Klaus, the Escape Collective Discord member. That's right. Klaus, the Escape Collective Discord member. On Wednesday, said the following in the Discord channel, and is thus worthy of the Calder Award this week. Tratnik looks to be on good form. I say he is the man they send after the last break attempt, and then he stays away. On Wednesday. And I gotta say, I wrote a preview of the classics that day, later that day, and I didn't even put Tratnik's name in there. So I... It, I would be sitting here eating crow if we had done a podcast last week. Fortunately, we did not. I didn't have a I didn't have a chance to badmouth Tratnik and and uh, ignore him. So I, I don't have to eat crow. But I would be. I, I would not have mentioned him at all. But it's good to know that Klaus over in the Discord comments is, you know, 
knows what he's talking about. So good on you, Klaus. Called it. You win the called it award. You never know. You you you're gonna be wrong sometimes. We all are. And uh, just know we might we might hand out the life comes at you fast award next week if you <laughs> tell us something that in the comments that ends up being totally wrong. But this week, you know, chapeau. Hats off to you for for calling it. All right. Any other I don't know, takeaways from from the envelope? The big big uh, uh, things that you saw that you know maybe people a little bit less astute than how the race was once Cosmo Catalano might have picked up I mean, on. I was I was going to go with an alternate reality segment here because you know everybody is always ask, acting like Visma is going to win every race, and don't get me wrong, they have the talent and the approach that wins races a lot, but. Uh, I think it would have not been that hard to, to, to see things end out another way. We had plenty of moments where there looked like there might be riders getting out of that that lead group. Uh, I Specifically in the Berendries, 30K to go, Tom Squinch just blew everyone away off the front of the field, just like stormed up this hill. Like Wout Van Aert started to go with him and then was like, no, this is harder than I want to go right now. And unfortunately, no one else joined him. And he, he kind of got to the hill, top of the hill, looked back, saw there was no one there, and was like, well, I, I can't solo this for 30K. It's a long but way. Let's say, yeah, but let's say Tom Pidcock or DeLee comes in and goes with him. Like, that's three pretty strong riders working together against, you know, the three Visma guys. Uh, that is pretty favorable odds, especially because at a certain point, you know, Visma is going to not be interested in burning out their top guys chasing yeah. that down. Um, and, you know, that would be, I think, a battle royale between Pidcock, Squinch, and Ali because there's such different types of riders. You still have the big climbs in the mirror. You still have the Bossberg. Ali, obviously, the strongest sprinter there. So, you know, th- watching those guys kind of fight out to see who is going to take that race and how they're going to take it would have been awesome. No Vismas included. Um, and, you know, again, that's Purely hypothetical, but there were definitely opportunities for non-Visma riders to take the victory at Hetney Spot this year. So it's hard, impossible to be completely unbiased here because Tom's is, you know, a friend of the podcast, yes. friend of the podcasts, friend of Escape Collective. Uh, However, he looked incredibly strong. When he I, yeah, I was super impressed. And I think... I don't, I mean, I I think it is true to say, I don't know that we've seen him be this strong in this kind of race before. Uh, he has certainly raced classics before, but to see him up there in this, you know, group of, yeah, I mean, guys like Wad Van Aert, Tom Pidcock, I, I was extremely impressed. And I think they the team has to be pretty stoked about this because this is a squad that has, Little Trek's got some hitters. I mean, they obviously have... Mess Peterson, who is a former world champion and has finished on the podium at Flanders, they have a Milan San Remo winner in Jasper Stuyven, who finished, what was he, seventh at, at, uh, at New Spot? He was their highest finisher at the end of the day. Uh, so, you know, just adding more firepower. Again, I, I don't, like, yeah, it's impossible for us to be unbiased here. So, sure, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty biased that Tom's is awesome, but, like, even more awesome now. I'm like, wow, that was really, that was a heck of a ride from him. And, and Little Trek in general, this was without Mess Peterson and, on the day. So the fact that they're able to be involved in the race the way they were, finish in the top 10 with Stoyven and Mess Pearson wasn't even in the race today or Saturday. That was, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a team that I think we're going to see opportunities for them, especially when Peterson is in the race, to stand up to and, and potentially challenge the Wet Van Art, Matthew Vanderpool, you know, uh, situation that we're going to see throughout the classics. With I, I think you know, Vanderpool was also not here. He's the other one that is. Well, I mean, let's let's highlight the recency bias here. Like we were saying the same exact thing a year ago. We're like, oh man, Yumbo's going to win everything, and then Alveson showed up, yeah, and won Rubey and Pagachar Pagachard at Flanders, and everybody declared Wout Van Aert's season a terrible failure. Yeah, so you know. Not past results are not indicative of future performance, but we should we should be wary that uh, dominance in February is not dominance in April. Totally, and and you know last year I felt like that the the Visma season you could say what a great classic season they won this 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 and this races and they really did they were so dominant when they were dominant. You also could have very truthfully said, what a disappointing classic season. They didn't win San Remo. They didn't win Flanders. They didn't win Roubaix. So we're here again. 
one you know one year later they won Omlopet Newsblad and spoiler alert uh, they also won Kerner Brussels Kerner and yet what's <laughs> it going to mean if the they second half of the show sorry yeah I apologize <laughs> yeah uh, all right before we move on from the Omloop any other uh, thoughts anyone stand out to you as being particularly unheralded and worthy of some heralding or or vice versa. I, I thought Pidcock rode really well. Um, he he mentioned kind of like having a hunger flat or losing his legs at the end of the race. He finished better on paper last year. I think he was fifth, but like all he had to do there was hang out in the group and not do anything dumb and then go fast at the end. Uh, and today, or this year, he was in that lead break. He was completely isolated. Like I remember when the break went, he was at the very end of it, not contributing, looking over his shoulder, waiting for some someone in an Ineos kit to appear. And, and save his day. And it just, sorry, sorry, bud, you're out there alone. Figure it out. Yeah, I mean, he had to be the smallest rider in that group by a good 10 kilos, five kilos. And not that, you know, size is everything in the classics, but it's certainly, they lend themselves to larger riders who just bring a lot of straight up watts. Uh, and Pidcock is definitely more, he's a swashbuckling bike handler, good power to mass ratio, very punchy, but, uh, you know, not all that much elevation at Umloop for him to, to try and leverage that. So pretty solid work, I thought, on his part, finishing eighth. You know, Cosmo, in the past, I have asked you to make this a little bit more of a sports talk radio show, uh, you know, to, to give people you know, some conflict. Okay, you know? all right. You want, you, want, you, want, you want the hot takes? You want to open I'm, the big spicy box, Dan? I'm going to open it right now. Oh, okay. You ready? Yeah. I was going to say that Tom Pidcock was over-heralded. I think wow. he came out of this race with me thinking. I mean, maybe I'm the one who was heralding. I, w- I would have thought he was going to do better. I mean, I'm uh, yeah, okay, he's a small guy. He's going to try to be a tour contender. That's all true. He's also a mountain bike superstar who I kind of have felt like could be a classics contender for a few years now. He has had some classics results. He's done pretty well on races with rough terrain, like, you know, roads that are like white gravel he's done well in races that have punchy tough climbs on rough terrain i kind of was expecting more than him getting dropped on those final climbs which is what happened yeah he was in a really great group was he was he dropped or was he like this group is getting caught i'm going to not you know kill myself to stay right on the wheel of 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 the front of this race that right? I will never know. I'm not Space. in Tom Pidcock's head. If he's listening, feel free to call in. Tell me I'm an idiot no, and I, that he intentionally dropped off because they were going to get caught. Maybe Pidcock, that's true. Tom, if you're listening, just go get the footage. Go back to the to the mur. There is a shot where you drop in quotation marks. You look behind you. You realize the field is right there, and then you ride back up to the main group. And it seems like you're not trying that hard. It seems like you've kind of accepted that this is all coming back together and that you should ride you know, to, to hold position, but to not necessarily stick with these leaders and maybe make something happen. I could be wrong. I don't know. Yeah. So just tell us, Tom, just send us a message. Were you intentionally doing that? Or were you just not good enough? You know, Uh, (laughs) all of the, all of the English listeners have turned the podcast off and will never listen again. I'm so sorry. Uh, Yeah. I am a, I am a big Tom Pidcock fan. Please don't hate me for expecting more out of him. But I kind of did. So, you know, Pitcock is, is racing a pretty limited classic schedule this year because of his very... I mean, he, he's got so many different things he's so good at that he, he's he got to focus on some of them. So his plan this year is to do Strada and Milan San Remo. And that's it before, uh, you know, of, of the one-day races until Amstel. He's not doing... He's not doing the other Cobble Classics, basically. As far as I know, that's the plan for now. So... You know, I, I'm a big fan. I, I like watching him. I hope he does well at Strata, which is a race that he will be the defending champion at. Tom Pidcock's performance at Strata last year is, is like the canonical example of never letting, never, never letting the group catch you. You're not caught until you're caught. They had him in their claws so many times and just never clinched it. And he slipped right through their fingers and won the race. Yeah. And I, I'm, you know, I'm hoping that we see more of that this year. I just hope he continues to take the next, because, I don't know, this sounds weird to say, but I feel like he's been kind of like the next big thing for a little while. And at this point, it's like, man, he's 24. 
He's the mountain bike world champion. He's he well, okay, fine. Yes, obviously <laughs> he's a mountain bike world champion. world champion. He's a decent cyclocrosser, sure. One, on one the road, I feel Alp like we have discussed his bright future. And you know, once you're 24 in cycling in 20 in in this stage in 2024, you're basically old hat. <laughs> uh, you know, Tadej Pogacar is like already winning everything by that point. So come on. Uh, I say that as a, as somebody who's 10 years older than Tom Pitcock, so there's a bit of irony there. Anyway, Tom, I, I hope you do well in all your upcoming races, and please don't hate me for thinking that you could have done better. Anyway, unheralded rider, real quick, I think we should tell people, like remind people, hey, Niels Pilot finished second in this race, because I worry that a few years from now, nobody's going to remember that Niels Pilot finished second at the Omlupet News Bud. It's not a race that people tend to remember we finished second at. And... He's actually already finished second at a decent-sized race called Paris-Roubaix a few years ago. And I feel like he's quite a talented rider. And he's also, at the same time, not someone that really gets mentioned a lot in the sort of favorites discussion for these races. But maybe it's time to, you know, as the youth I mean, say, put some respect on his name, which is a phrase yeah. I hate, but that's what the youth say. <laughs> I mean, it's it's yeah, 100%. He is... He is He's so strong, and he has a really good sense of when to attack. Uh, it, this would be another great example of that. You know, he doesn't he doesn't do it mindlessly. He picks good moments when people are refueling or recovering or not paying attention, and then he puts out the crazy watts that he can put out because he's a big dude. But yeah, he has got to be you know top dark horse contender for 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 Flanders. Even honestly, even Flanders he could do. Uh, but yeah, Roubaix last year, Roubaix in great particular, finish. yeah. Because he is so big that like a perfectly flat race like Roubaix seems to really suit him. All right. I feel like we have talked enough about how this particular race was won. Uh, we do have a couple of other races, you know, some odds and ends here. Kerner Brussels kind of did happen the day after the Omloop. Uh, we could talk about the men's corner Brussels corner real quick. Um, uh, for me, I mean, there's not too much. Uh, I, we're not going to break down the whole race. We're not, you know, we, I feel like the envelope gets that treatment. Well, on art one corner Brussels corner spoiler alert. And he did so in pretty impressive fashion. And thus the Visma team has now won both races of opening weekend on the men's side. And also on the women's side, they won the envelope by the way. Uh, I think for me, the, the, like the big takeaways were that Wout van Aert is in great form right now in, in February. But at the same time, like how big of a takeaway is that? Because nobody's going to care if he doesn't win the bigger races coming up. And uh, other big takeaway, Oyer Lascano is, you know, he's a rider to watch. And that is really exciting for Spanish fans because Spanish classics stars have been pretty few and far between. Like recently slash ever. Uh, and so I love that for him and for the Spanish fans. And I really wanted to highlight the sort of the quote of the weekend, in my opinion, came from, from Lascano after Kerner Brussel Kerner, where he finished uh, third to Van Art and Tim Wellens. Uh, Lascano tried, he, he did attempt to kind of like make something happen at the very end. He really, it was a little obvious, like when he was going to go. <laughs> Like he really, really telegraphed it. I think that's the yep. word that Matt Stevens used. Yes. It was a good one. Yes. Um, but okay, so he's now won the Classica High End, and then he went on to finish third at Kerner Brussel Kerner. And after the race, he said, "Quote: uh, I'm, I'm taking this from Cycling News. He, I tried to go for the win, but Wout and Tim were very strong. They kept on accelerating. It was also unlikely for me to be out front with those champions. Normally, you only see them on the TV. And I thought that is true." <laughs> and it's cool to think that Lescano thinks that way because I think that's how all of us would think if we were in this situation. Like, hey, I watch these guys on TV and now I'm racing with them. That is so cool. <laughs> so I hope that Lescano has more opportunities. Yeah, he's, I mean, honestly, I think he got everything he could have out of this race. And like, at no point was he like, I'm just going to sit up and take third. He's like, well, I have a very small chance of getting away here. Let's just try it. Let's see what happens. Even even, even when he was stuck leading out the sprint, he's like, maybe I can try and get a drop on these guys. It didn't work out. But yeah, a really good ride. It definitely suffered for it um, visibly. <laughs> Somebody, I think I think some of the commentary was, was maybe being generous when they said he was gasping for air. It looked more to me like he was about to throw up. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> super strong ride. Like 
I, I think he's he's kind of realizing that you know he can be in these in these groups with these riders. And the thing that really struck me about KBK just generally is that it was the same kind of juniorish racing as uh, Het Nisblat. You had a lot of action before the cameras even turned on, and this kind of went completely in the opposite direction. Where the first big selection we got when the cameras were on, like that stuck. They stayed away and rode perfectly together. Nobody, yeah. nobody was you know skipping turns. Nobody was rubbing wheels or doing anything weird. Like it was one, at one point they overshot a corner. <laughs> that, that was about it. Uh, and it just yeah. shows like how unpredictable this, this racing can be. The only thing I worry about is like, now there's kind of an argument if this keeps up for full race coverage for like every spring classic. And it's awesome, but also like, that is a lot of bike racing to watch, even for committed fans. We can't, we can't complain about that. Oh, well, I would, that that I sounds would, awesome. I would love it. I would love it because I like to go there and watch the footage and find all the cool, wacky stuff that just happens in road racing. But at the same time, I I don't know we're going to bring new eyeballs into the sport by being like, well, okay, here's a guy firing a gun. That's not the actual start, though. We have to wait for the guy in the car to wave the flag. Then it started. I, yeah. I have always found that to be somewhat confusing, that there's not a real start and then a start. Yeah. All right, so Visma taking both the men's races at Amelou Pet Newsblood and Kerner Brussels Kerner. Uh, so what does it all mean for the Classics campaign to come? Because I, this feels like a cop-out and a bummer of an answer, but like I really feel like it just told us what we already know, and at the same time, nobody's really going to care in, in a month if they don't follow it up at Flanders. And again, that feels like a cop-out. What are we going to talk about if we can't actually give them credit for winning when they win? But yeah, it's just that's how I feel. Yeah, I, I don't, I, like I said, I, I think people get too fixated on the result. Like there's a lot of recency bias in that. Like while Van Art wins a race by soloing away a hundred kilometers, no one's anywhere near him. It's not the most interesting thing in the world. While Van Art wins a race um, where there are, you know, different, different groups off the front every 20K where the entire pack catches up at 15K from the finish, like, all that stuff happening for me makes makes it much more interesting. Like I have never been that bothered by the by the women's side. Estee works wins everything, and it's like, well, yeah, but they're dude. It's really interesting to watch how they constantly, you know, refactor the race to get themselves in the position they want to be in. And it makes the few moments where they the, the, the few uh, it makes the few instances where they don't like really kind of cool and special. So it does up the ante when the, when it's somebody else, which is a great. You know, segue. segue for us to bring up the Yamlupet Newsblad while also saying we have decided we're going to talk about the men's race here. And we have a whole podcast that's going to talk about the women's race with Abby Mickey, who we already mentioned. Wheel Talk is going to talk all about the Yamlupet Newsblad. I mean, they're also going to talk about the other races that happened this week and the Yamlup von Het Hageland, which, by the way, has the coolest name now. The Cray Winkelhoff Amloop von Hethagelen, which is named after the Cray Winkelhoff Streak Bellavink Centrum, which is all one word, Streak Bellavink Centrum, which apparently means regional experience center. I think it's a the place where the experience that you get regionally is drinking beer. So that sounds great. Uh, anyway, real quick, we're gonna mention, we're gonna give you the highlights, the what you need to know about the Amloop Head News Blood, which is that SD Works didn't win. The the super team they was did, was beaten. I think the the takeaway was that the the goat, the greatest rider of all time, basically had her whole objective to be get in a breakaway with an S Day Works rider who is not Lorena Weavis and beat them in the sprint. Probably thirty k out, you saw her stock in Demi Vollering when she made moves. Uh, she really got in Kapeki's head uh, in, in a in a small group with her the last couple k. I'm sure we'll talk. We'll go over this in detail. Probably with actual riders from the actual race calling up Abby and telling her about that is what happens on that show quite often, which is (laughs) so cool. Um, But yeah, it was, you know, it's every so often some people think that Mariana Voss should retire because she doesn't win every single race anymore. And it's sort of like. I like it better when she just sort of shows up and is like, by the way, I'm better than you at this. It's the Ron Swanson vibe when he's walking into the Home Depot store and they're like, hey, can I help you? And he's like, I know more than you. <laughs> yeah. Like that, 
I just, it's, that is why, that is why people. Oh, yeah, so I don't bad. really like, it's just such a strange thing to, to think that anyone, like, first of all, she, what well, she won the points jersey at the wealth of last year. So, I mean, she, she, okay. She doesn't win everything, but she still wins a lot. Like she's a, she's a damn good rider still. And obviously even at 36, she went on and won the Ombu Pet Newsblad by, you know, taking, like you said, I mean, had had a plan going in and executed to perfection and beat a field that was pretty darn good and beat the pretty heavy favorite. I think Lada Kopecky is the rider that everybody, everybody thought was going to win this yeah. race coming off of a win at UAE Tour and being the classic star that she is. And she didn't. So, heck of a ride from Mariana Voss, who happens to ride for Visma Lisa Bikes. So, heck of a weekend for, for that team. I do want to shout out EF's Kristen Faulkner, who was off the front way early at, at uh, Omloven at Hogland. And, you know, people apparently didn't see Strada Bianca last year, where she very nearly did the same thing. Uh, no big climb into CNA at the end of this one. And she had, what, two minutes still at the line? So, yeah, she's super strong. She's getting a lot better at riding her bike, which should terrify the women's peloton because... I mean, that was her big weakness last year, crashing and not cornering well. And uh, if she irons those things out, look out. Yeah, I mean, if you if you win this race in particular, I feel like that's a sign that you know how to ride your bike. I mean, this this terrain is not the kind of terrain that I would do well on as somebody who just like rides on wide, boring roads here. Not boring. Boring is the wrong word. But like, <laughs> I feel like you got to be pretty good to, to win on these kind of roads. So good on Kristen Faulkner for, for doing that. Uh, and for more on... The Cray Winkelhoff Amloop von Hedhageland, and of course, the Amloop Pet Newsblad, and everything else women's cycling. Wheel Talk is coming up later this week, so check that out. Before we go, any odds and ends? There, there were other races. I mean, there was another World Tour race, even. So, yeah, World Tour event uh, in uh, developing the yeah, sport and, in, and in, in UAE. We can talk about it really quickly because there were some takeaways from the UAE Tour. Uh, for me, we should mention the winner because I think he's someone that maybe as a young prospect, as a, a rider that like people in the sport have been excited about, he's not someone that has had the same level of hype around him as say a Keanu Brooks or before Keanu Brooks, you had, I mean, Tiny Pogacar had a lot of hype around him. Juan Ayuso had plenty of hype around him. And I think Leonard Van Eetveld is somebody who, He's done the sorts of things that you would expect a lot of hype around him. And yet, up until this win at the UAE Tour, I feel like you didn't really hear about him much as an up-and-comer. He's somebody who's kind of been on the radar for a little while. He was a, a pretty talented junior. He was doing a lot of things as a junior to make it very clear that he was an up-and-comer to watch. He won the uh, Course de la Pa, which is the peace race. Uh, that was, what, two years ago? He was up there at the uh, under-23 Giro, finished second to Leo Hader, uh, and ahead of Lenny Martinez, who we all, I mean, we've already seen Lenny Martinez do some big things. He was on the podium at the under-23 Liege. So basically, doing a lot of things that you expect prospects to do. Signed with uh, Lotto Destiny, the the, uh, pro team last year after being at their club level, raced the Vuelta last year, and then... After that, comes into this race, and this was not just a him winning the hardest stage to Jebel Hafid. He was third to Jebel Jice, which is a heck of a climb. Uh, it goes up to almost 1,500 meters from, like, nothing. Uh, what, what do they start at? They started at four meters. Uh, and, yeah, so, it, like, <laughs> I, I've been on – this is a, it's a big mountain. Like, I've, I've gone up this climb once uh, at, at one of the UE tours I've gone to, and it is a real climb in the mountains. And – you don't just, you know, oops your way to a third place finish there. And then he did win on Jabel Hafid. So he was climbing with the best on the two stages where there was some serious climbing in this race. And I think if you are Lotto Destiny, a team that dropped down from the World Tour level, you got to be pretty pleased with the weekend. I mean, because I think Arno Lee looked great at the Amloop at Newsblad. To me, he looked, he was extremely strong. I think he did a lot of that work to pull back Jorgensen. And then, yeah, Van Eetveld at, at UAE Tour going up against serious, like, world tour talent. The UAE Tour might be a race that, yeah, we're all going to talk about the Amlupet Newsblad because we love the classics. And I think some people are going to say, oh, UAE Tour, who's going to watch that? But at the same time, like, there are a bunch of world tour teams there. I mean, Ben O'Connor finished second at this race. 
he finished uh, Van Nieveld ahead of a bunch of World Tour climbers. So someone to watch for in the future uh, is, is the key takeaway there. The other one, I think Tim earlier being dominant at sprinting. Uh, we talked about a little bit about placeholders last week. Uh, Johnny wrote a script in which I did an English accent, uh, and he went on to win more since then. Uh, and, and I think if you watched some of his wins, you got to see that he, to me, he, w- he was looking great both from a racecraft perspective, following uh, lead out from his own former team, actually, and also from an actual just speed perspective. Uh, I think he really, checking all the boxes right now, and the question now is what is what does his team do with him? Because they have grand tour aspirations with Remco Evenepoel. So he's going to have to try to convince Patrick Lefebvre to go to one of those things. I I am of all the things that I find tough to compare at UAE, the sprinting might be the hardest uh, just because the roads are so big. Um, And like on the one hand, that is a great metric or a great demonstration of people who are very fast to show how fast they can go. Um, but there are like, basically there's a lot of space on the road that you can find your way through at UAE that is an order of magnitude more difficult to find in a typical, uh, European sprint just because of how the roads are and how the, especially the stage finishes are. Um, yeah, it, I agree. I mean, it can we'll be, see. it's, this is true of like American racing as well. I mean, you see this at Tour no, of California. It's, it's a thousand, it's, it might even be worse in American racing, yeah. honestly. Um. I, I do think with Tim in Tim earlier's case, winning three stages and doing it, like I said, I mean, I, I think he did a pretty good job of kind of weaving his way through traffic at certain points. I, f- I feel like he has proven to me at least like he cares, but uh, oh, yeah. That he, oh, yeah. no, he's, um, he's going pretty well. In ge- I, I, I am, I am on the Tim earlier yeah, train yeah. Um, for sure. I'm just saying in terms of comparing sprints can be the toughest to read, but nothing about Merlier's, past performance makes me think he wouldn't be able to carry what seems to be substantially improved speed yeah. back over And he is a guy who has won a stage at a race called the Tour de France. So like that's doesn't get much better than that as a sprinter. Uh, last odds and ends uh, little note the O Gran Camino in Galicia in northwestern Spain. Two big takeaways there. One, Engan Bernal is back. He looked awesome. And he looked awesome on the climbs against Real good climbers, including a fellow named Jonas Vingago, who is the Tour de France champion. The other big takeaway being, if Egan Bernal is back, Jonas Vingago is on another planet. And like as good as Bernal looked, Vingago was absolutely untouchable at the Gran Camino and won quite handily uh, on the you know GC type stages. He really just decided he was going to drop everyone and not look back. He won the second, third, and fourth stage of this race. And he ultimately took the general classification by 155 uh, and just kept just kind of destroying everybody whenever he really wanted to. So if if you're keeping score of how the contenders for the upcoming Tour de France are looking right now, Certainly seems like the guy who won last year's race is doing pretty well. We have not seen much from the other potential contenders. Uh, I, I, I'm sure we will soon. Remco Evenepoel looks pretty darn good right now. Uh, but yeah, Vingago not really showing any signs of, of faltering here as he aims for a third title. I mean, in in bad conditions too, like miserable weather. And I I, for some, I didn't look it up, but I felt for some reason last year he still won, but he wasn't looking as dominant and this year it was like what are you doing with this kind of fitness in february yeah buddy? like it's what i'm almost i am i'm sure yumbo or there i go i'm sure visma is on top of it uh but it, it's just you know make make sure that calendar stays calendar. maybe they're not on top i mean like maybe the lack of primo's roglic and the team to police who's eating what salad <laughs> is is going to be the downfall of of vingago and this team it's true that could be the uh the call you know that that we're going to reference in a few weeks when we say like, "Hey, you called it." <laughs> this is this is going to be my life comes could also fast be a life comes right fast here. Yeah. <laughs> Ro- Roglic is going to completely destabilize Bora. Yeah, and <laughs> there could be some crow eating, which would be very exciting. Take, I think that'd be all, fun. Take all the top ten space. Vismo finish one through through nine at the Tour de France. One through eight at the, the Tour de France. The crazy thing is like that. Now, right? To me, that doesn't sound outside the realm of possibility. Yeah. All right. Well, I feel like we have provided enough intel about how the race 
the race is really. I mean, there one. are a couple races. Yeah. We're one. Yeah, but we we dug we dug we dug deep on yeah. one. We, we flirted with some. Um, and we'll just give you a quick sense of what's to come. So, you know, we were on hiatus for a little while uh, as the as the off season raged. But now that bike racing is back, no matter who you ask, uh, we got we got a show coming up in a week in which we're going to be able to talk about a pretty fun one day race in Italy at Strada Bianca because Strada Bianca is on Saturday of the coming week. So. Next week, we'll have a chance to talk about riders battling on the white roads of Tuscany, trying to follow up Tom Pidcock for his title. He was the winner last year. When you year. say white, what makes the roads white? Is it a type of white asphalt? I believe it is the uh, the rocks of the gravel yeah? that does that. Yes. Ah. So this is, this is, but it's not a gravel race. That's a road well, race. Well, you know, it's a road race with gravel, right? So I'm I think just, it counts as a road race. Um, with gravel. So what? Where do where do you draw the line? That it's a line drawing exercise for sure. I don't. It's a slippery slope. <laughs> uh, are there any other sayings that law school students have? I don't know. I, yeah. uh, I I will say when you first asked what makes the roads white, my my brain went to like, are you asking me what the rock type is in the gravel? Because I actually don't <laughs> know. Talk, but like surely. Yeah. No, I was I was we have listeners. I was making know. my usual bit where if there's a road race like Strada Bianca, why does gravel racing a separate thing? That sounds like a whole but podcast. Topic. I digress. Discussion for yeah, it's a, that is another placeholder's topic. Yeah, I think. yeah, probably. So we'll have Strada Bianca to talk about next week, uh, and maybe we'll be talking about how Tom Pidcock defended his title, or maybe we'll be talking about how Tidy Pogacar took the win, or someone else. We'll see. In the meantime, go listen to We'll Talk, the placeholders, Geek Warning. I think performance processes. Maybe off. don't. Maybe don't listen. Uh, to Oh, don't listen to Geekwater. Right, that's right. I forgot. Um, yeah. yeah. Thank you. And then you, you'll hear us again in in just one week's time. So thanks for joining us here. Hope you liked the show, even if we have a brand new name. I, I try to keep it pretty serious. Cosmo, Dane, do you want to sign off because that's what people are so used to hearing? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <clears throat> Until next time, I'm Cosmo Catalano, and that's how the race was one that's what i wanted to hear all <laughs> right